What has happened with the Lakers? Can the Celtics salvage their season? Why are the Warriors signing Andrew Bogut? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. As always, I'm joined today by Jared Weiss, who is the uh, Celtics writer for The Athletic, and he's driving with us That's today. That's so, Yeah, hey, thanks for driving with us today, Jared. I appreciate it. I'm always driving when I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> That's right. You were driving. I don't, I don't even know seat. what that means. That's right. Now, uh, <laughs> you were at Sloan. Anything uh, interesting to report on Sloan while you were there this past weekend? Oh, man. Sloan is the best. Someone asked me why, like, why would you go to Sloan, and I said it's like it's like being a kid in a candy store, except everybody's a nerd at the candy store. And I, I, Sloan's my favorite. You know, the panels aren't that great anymore. The one panel that I thought was really worth it, that I, at least the one that I was able to catch, was well, actually like a number two. There was one was Bill Simmons versus Adam Silver one on one, which was incredibly entertaining, and Silver was so transparent and so fair and balanced and willing to admit mistakes. I love, I love it when Adam Silver talks. I love his press conferences. I'm like back when David Stern was here with Silver, there is an expectation that you're going to get real answers and actually kind of understand the real state of the union. Uh, so that, that I loved. And then there was one on the future of media that I thought was really interesting because Jeannie Buss came out and she wasn't originally scheduled to be a part of it. Uh, and she came out, and she basically gave the exact same answer like seven times. And it was a very long answer of her saying that she's furious with the media for spreading fake news about the Anthony Davis trade talks, which was incredibly ironic, pretty wrong. Like, it was just, like factually inaccurate. Um, but it was I thought it was hilarious. So huh. that was a great laugh. And my boss was on there, and he was actually extremely interesting as well. So it was that was very entertaining. Okay, interesting. Wait, which one is your boss on, on that stage? Uh, Adam Hansman, the CEO of The Athletic. Ah, okay. Good to know. Um, yes, fake news reporting and stirring everything up because, you know, the irony here, and we'll talk Lakers right now, is that when you look at when the, the season really took a dive for them was exactly at that time when the trade talks started coming up and the young guys like, apparently seemed affected and then obviously LeBron being hurt. Um, and I don't know if those. I don't. Think, I don't know if LeBron being hurt and all the trade rumors uh, are mutually exclusive. And also, like you had said, I, I, like you know, when you were intimating, I, I don't know if it was all the fake news that was reporting what was going on. Right? It probably was. You know, I don't think anyone was. was what were the untruths being reported about that whole situation? Well, she she couldn't really say specifically, but I think she was basically hinting that or implying that all of the leaks about the trade talks were fake news that were lies. And we know that there were plenty of leaks coming from the Lakers' side. We know that Magic and Polinka were leaking. That's what made the whole thing so ridiculous. Now, maybe most of the stuff that was coming out, whether it was from Roderick Turner from the LA Times reporting stuff, or it was Woj, or I think Chris Haynes might have been doing some of the reporting as well, but it would seem like it was mostly Woj and Turner. Maybe that was all just coming from Del Benson. Alvin Gentry and Rich Paul, but like we know that the Lakers were uh, part of the leaking, and they were part of the information warfare. Uh, you know, like, so it's, it's and also just the Lakers have they've done so much 
over the last year or two. It really just since Magic has been there, but I'm sure they've always been doing it. So much different, you know, type of tampering, information warfare through the media. Like this is like this is like it's basically like the like the um, it's like crying wolf essentially. No, that's the wrong analogy. It is the pot calling the kettle black. I guess I hate that analogy. I wanted the better one, but it, it was kind of ridiculous that she was complaining about it. But um, you know, that's I guess that's what usually happens when you get LeBron. You kind of feel like you're being victimized or being the power player in the room. But you know, everybody else wants to turn around against the one team that's trying to be the hegemonic power player, and they want to do whatever they can to combat it. And I think it's kind of unfair to complain about it when you know that you're the one trying to wield your leverage over the league. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting because we here we are. Like, I, I think most people were hmm, – I feel like it wasn't a hot take before the season started when you looked at the fact that they had signed Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley and um, who else did they sign? JaVale McGee, uh, Rondo. Uh, that, you know, throw all those guys in and all in like one year deals with these young guys who are also trying to make a name for themselves with LeBron. I, I, I don't think it was a hot take then that, you know, maybe this team wasn't going to make the playoffs. Right. It remind me. Uh, the, I, I would say it was like a 70, 30 split on what they're a team. People thinking they were going to make the playoffs versus not make it. I thought they were going to be like a four to five seed that, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. And, hey, maybe if LeBron didn't get hurt, they would have been somewhere close to that. But there were there were a decent amount of people who were saying pretty with pretty reasonable arguments that they were a major threat to be a playoff bubble team. Okay. Uh, I, I think I was, I was saying bubble. I, I think that was where I was at because looking at that roster. And, of course, you know, part of what you know, they had to do was they had to cut Michael Beasley because like it just wasn't working. He was yelling at the coach. I mean, all the things that you felt like were going to happen happened. Uh, I'm actually a little bit surprised that Luke Walton is still coaching today as of Monday mid, mid-afternoon. Uh, they lose yesterday to the Suns. And, um, you know, that to me felt like that, you know, if there's, there's going to be a last straw, that would have been it. Uh, although there's still time before, before you know, the next game, I think. But uh, what, do, what do you think about that? I feel like it's too late at this point. There's just not enough time to have a new coach come in and install adjustments to the road. Well, I guess the, if it's just installing adjustments to the rotation, then maybe that works. Cause I mean, yeah, you know, for, for them, I think their biggest issue is obviously the roster construction is the number one issue. They're missing Lonzo ball, which is killing them from a you know, transition perspective and defensive perspective. And LeBron is, When your best player is not playing defense, it's really hard to motivate the rest of your team to really execute and really sell out on defense. Um, so I just I don't think bringing in a new coach is going to make LeBron play defense. So I think LeBron, I mean, it seems like LeBron is basically like I'm going to get my numbers, otherwise I'm going to let everybody else do the heavy lifting. And I don't think there's a new coach that they could put into place right now because it would have to be somebody from staff if they were going to try to make a change with like a month and two weeks left in the season, then yeah, I don't see how that's going to make the difference for him. That, that is that's all facts without question. I just feel like, you know, the, the pressure is building to a head and you're right in theory, it should just, they should at least get to the end of the season before they have to make a decision of anything like that. But the other question I have or problem, I think is when you're looking at LeBron's numbers, I mean, I think they're four and seven since he came back from that injury. Uh, and, you know, look at the minutes he's played the last number of games, 43, 40, 38, 39, 37, 38, 40. You know, I, I just don't see how that's going to be a recipe for, for success for them either because they're going to wear him out, even if they do somehow make the playoffs, which 
it's just it just doesn't seem like it's going to be able to happen. They're going to have to play. They have to win sixty five percent of their games uh, to to cover up the deficit they have now, which is I think three and a half games. And um, there's just no way that's not going to happen unless uh, the Clippers and the Santa Spurs lose all of their games or something crazy. Yeah, they, well, they would need to probably win better than that. They need to win like 75, 75% of their games because those other teams are fighting for the playoffs and are going to presumably play relatively well. So, yeah, they need to be pretty much perfect from here on out. I don't see that happening. So I'm pretty, I have pretty much resigned to the idea that they're not going to make the playoffs, which is sad because like, obviously you want to see LeBron in the playoffs, and especially if they got the eight seed to see LeBron in the first round against the Warriors. I mean, that would be amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... You know, the problem here isn't the young guys. You know, like Brandon Ingram had a really bad game. I think it was that. Was it, were they in New Orleans? I can't even remember. But like right around the deadline when the whole thing was happening, he had a bad game. I guess Kuzma had a bad game. And then right after the deadline, they came into Boston. I was there for that one. And those guys were awesome. Kyle Kuzma was a superstar in that game. He was probably the best player in that game. Mm-hmm. He was incredible. And Ingram was showing great capability. Those guys have generally been playing really well, but. It's just that they have so many guys in this rotation that are well over the hill. Rondo is not playing the way that he's played in the second half of seasons for the last few years, which is pretty much the only reason why he's still in the league. I mean, he's in the league because, I mean, well, teams don't really love his leadership, but also he's really emerged towards playoff time in the playoffs for the last few seasons and become a vital cog, and that's just not happening at this point. Uh, and just like the, the mistakes that they've made at the five position. They have, this is why I'm, I, I ask people all the time, does Magic Johnson have any idea what he's doing? Because it's, there is nothing that really indicates it from what he says in the public that he has any idea what he's doing. Obviously, Palenka, I'm sure, is the one for the most part responsible for like player acquisition. But I've talked about this a million times because it's just like, I thought it was obvious at the time and it's even worse in retrospect. Them basically telling Brooke Lopez to have a good life right at the onset of free agency was like the most like incomprehensible thing that happened pretty much like the entire off season. They needed to have a good center who could space the floor near around LeBron. They let him go knowing that like he could shoot, but weren't not even confident he could shoot at this level, but just that he was a decent shooter. And, you know, of course, this year he's been one of the most valuable centers in the NBA. It was probably, for the money, the most valuable offseason acquisition in the entire NBA. And they replaced him with JaVale, who, like, JaVale, I think, is fine as your third center, but obviously he's not a starter. And then Tyson Chandler was really good at first, but hasn't been playing well. They had one center who was playing really well, was Avika Subac, and they dumped him for Mike Muscala so they could have some floor spreading, which which one, of course, is trying to cover up the problem they had by letting Lopez go. But two, like, Mescala hasn't been playing that well. Mescala sucks on defense, mm-hmm. and he's not even really a center. He's just like a six foot nine shooter. He's not even shooting that well. Zubac is way more valuable for them. And now they can't, they're not even using Mescala as a center, and they're trying to put Kuzma or LeBron there, and neither of those guys are playing defense. So you know, they're, they're most, their most vital defensive spot is by far their biggest weak point. So oh, uh, it's it is I, it's why I don't want Luke Wall to get fired just because I feel like he's just he was given a horrible roster to work with and he has been trying to do his best to make it work. 
Yeah, you know what? He, him and um, Fred Hoiberg can have a, uh, a support group uh, to talk about <laughs> teams that don't fit <laughs> who they need. Uh, yeah, you know, all facts. You're just burning it down today. So I, I, there's not much I can even add to that just because uh, yeah, that's, that's all that's right there in a nutshell. And uh, I, don't, I don't see any solutions right now. They're going to want to try and sign a big free agent. Uh, they're not signing Kevin Durant. Uh, you know, we, you know, they never know. You know, well, you know what? Let's take a break for one second to give a, a word for our sponsors, and we'll come back with a nice little segue to what we're talking about. If you have a podcast or are thinking about starting one, because you know who isn't starting a podcast these days, then you have to join the over 140 million others that use Wix to publish their shows. You can start and publish for free. Choose from over 500 stunning templates. Did I say stunning? And unlimited storage. The design is so easy to use with drag-and-drop technology that in only a few minutes, you'll be up and running. One of the best ways to get your podcast noticed is to have a beautiful hosting site. And Wix will do that for you with their artificial intelligence and built-in SEO so that all the search engines easily find your site. Best of all, you can save 10% off your yearly premium plan if you head over to Wix.com slash podcast. That's W-I-X.com slash podcast. Wix, the place to create professional websites. So one interesting thing that as we're talking about the Lakers looking to shine free agents is that you know what I'm going at here perhaps is that there is a free agent out there. That they that might be leaving the team that is on right now. That you know who knows might want to come back to the Lakers. You know who I'm talking about? Do you really think Tobias Harris is the right guy? <laughs> Tobias might do it, but I'm thinking about the guy in your neck of the woods, uh, Kyrie, who's been just torturing Boston fans and players alike uh, all <laughs> season long with his free agency cloud. Um, so the real quick, before, we're going to get on the Celtics now, but let's just really quickly: is he coming? Would he would he even consider playing with LeBron again? I don't think so. It just I'll tell you, the, the number one thing to say about Kyrie Irving is that I don't know. Nobody, okay. nobody has an understanding of what his priorities are at this point. There is what he has stated, and he like established a very, very like complex and very like clear narrative when he came to Boston. It was very apparent that he was he learned from LeBron, outgrew his role with LeBron and needed to be on his own. And at this point, the idea of him going back with LeBron, who he had so much tension with in the past, I can't see that happening, especially when he has the opportunity to do it with Kevin Durant instead, who he has said multiple times is one of his closest friends, who he just had dinner with in Miami right after the All-Star break, which I'm pretty sure is out there publicly. I'm not sure if it wasn't, it is now. Um, but so, like, I, I think it's so much more likely that he pairs up with Durant than LeBron, but, like, it is technically possible. Okay, well, let's now shift over to the Celtics because, uh, you know, things are not going well. Um, and they are struggling, in, you know, in, you in the care. macro sense. You know, they're actually, their defensive rating isn't bad. Their offense rating isn't bad either. Like, there, there are stuff, stuff that's happening that you could look to as a positive way. But they're struggling to maintain and winning, uh, you know, the, their, their spot in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and we got guys who are, seem to be unhappy. Uh, and I think, is that the issue here? That just, you know, unhappiness is causing some issues? Oh, definitely. It's uh, well. There's one guy who seems to be unhappy. That's making uh, seems to be making issues. It's Kyrie, but you know they they had such a strong run earlier this year that their all their net rating info is still pretty good. But if you look at like the last ten games, I just wrote about like I just wrote a piece on the Athletic 
about why I think Jalen Brown should be moved into the starting lineup for Marcus Morris. Just so much about uh, the starting lineup necessarily, but just they need energy. They're just so devoid of energy when uh, no matter how much talent they really have out there. And Jalen Brown is that one guy, and probably Marcus Smart deserves credit too, but those are the, those are the guys that are really running their asses off. And so I just think putting Brown at, you know, in there to open uh, each half and then close out the game would be the way to actually keep them in these games because so often they just look listless on offense. They take bad shots that lead to rebounds and transition play. They get killed in transition and the game blows open. And I'm sure most of our listeners watched the Toronto game that was on national TV where they got their ass kicked, especially by Pascal Siakam. And then that Houston game where they were getting killed and they made a pretty nice comeback behind Brown, Terry Rozier, and Gordon Hayward, but then they couldn't close it out just because they were in such a deep hole. But, you know, Irving seems to be kind of really completely out of sync with everything else that they're trying to become. Yeah. Well, I, I loved what I saw from Jalen Brown that second half against Houston. I turned that game on, and he was everything you're talking about as far as activity, making plays on both sides of the floor. So, he, yeah, there's, they got to find ways to get him more minutes. And they kept cutting back as they were getting closer and closer in the fourth quarter, and they kept cutting the shot of Kyrie on the bench, right? Like kind of looking a little forlorn, uh, clearly playing better with him not on the floor. Um, and that's, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know if it makes sense per se, only because he clearly is their best offensive player, but sometimes, you know, right, we, and we've seen this before in, in the distant past and recent past in the NBA where, you know, sometimes you take the, the best player out and, like, the team just clicks better. Are, are we Now, let me just ask you this because you're watching him even more closely. Do we feel that it's Rozier just kind of doing yeoman's, you know, sort of the status quo work, or is he – is he playing better than, than he had been earlier? Well, Rozier's definitely playing better. If that, that's what you're asking. Yeah. Um, I mean, Rozier doesn't get to be in really favorable lineups very often, but when he is, he tends to play very well. He also just gets some nights he comes out and he's in this gunner mode and it's a total disaster. Uh, and also, part of the issue with him often, I think, is that when he looks like he's pressing and he ends up having these really bad games, it seems that a lot of the time it's because the first unit did very poorly, and he's trying to shoot that second unit back into the game, and that just compounds the issue. Uh, I, I think he's taking more blame than he deserves this year, and I, I don't think he's the. Pro- I don't think he is the. He's not the cause of the problem, but he sometimes is the symptom of it. Uh, but as far as like Irving, it's just that so many people have talked about the record when Irving isn't playing which, of course, there's so much context that explains why that is, whether it's because he sits when they're playing mediocre teams you know, most of the time or because they're – I mean, you know, there's other anomalies. Like, I think the main thing there is that the traditional Brad Stevens system kind of conflicts with what Kyrie likes to do, whether it's ISO or pick and roll and so forth. And it's, they haven't been able this year to find the balance of – running a lot of their spread, you know, corner pistol action stuff that we talked about in the past of the show, blend that in with also just getting Kyrie Irving pick and rolls. Or more importantly, I think getting Kyrie Irving off the ball and using him as a off-ball shooter, which is, you know, the, kind of using him like Steph Curry. That's where he can be even more deadly because the defense isn't able to key in on him the way they usually can, or he usually just pulls a rabbit out of the hat, which isn't efficient, but he does it more than anybody, so he gets away with it. You know, uh, I, I think it might be worth studying what they were doing with Isaiah a couple of years ago 
uh, generating shots for him, and then you you know sort of indicating that that's what Kyrie could be doing to get his points better because. I certainly know that they were, they'd get him coming off of like out of the pistol. They come, you know, pin down for him into a handoff and he'd turn the corner lefty into the middle of the lane and he'd be able to pull up or score yeah. all the way to the basket. And I think that, um, you know, that if Kyrie is going to fight that, then that's, yeah, that's going to be a problem where they they just can't. I, I, cause I don't, I mean, Stevens is only, can only do so much with what he does and what his offense does, right? They're going to make at some point, I guess that's what, it, what we're talking about is that maybe Kyrie is going to leave because he's going to realize that it's simply not going to work for him. And I, I don't know. I almost put the onus on him to adjust. He is so good that he could adjust his game to play that way, and he's simply unwilling to. Well, you know, the big difference between what Isaiah was doing and what Kyrie is doing is that Isaiah, one, played more off the ball, and he would, he would kind of like he would start in the corner, come around the pin down, they would pitch it to him, and he could either quick shoot off of it or he would get all the way to the paint throw himself into the defender to draw the foul or kick out to that weak side corner. And Kyrie doesn't do that as much. And Kyrie doesn't move on the floor as quickly as he does. Kyrie doesn't, he doesn't like cover a large amount of space at the same speed that somebody like Isaiah Thomas or Kemba Walker does. He's more of a dancer and it's, it's kind of more of like a classic pickup street ball style that I don't think is as, as conducive to running an efficient offense as what, Isaiah Thomas did, where Isaiah Thomas was kind of more like Damian Lillard and was like very ruthlessly efficient with his movement, or Steph Curry, obviously, where like for him, it was all about trying to have the ball in his hands as little as possible and trying to make a move as quickly as possible. And Kyrie just gets into this mode where he's trying to go one on four and he pulls it off. So it works, but it's not, it's not conducive to making the offense flow the way it should. Right, and it's so, and we, you know, it, it, he wants to play for Houston. I suppose is, is the uh, the only solution for him, which isn't going to work. So, uh, real quick, uh, offensive rating the last ten games for the Celtics. You want to take a guess what the what their uh, rank is? Twenty first, twenty seventh, and defensive rating the last ten games is. Oh, my mouse is is lagging. Uh oh, my mouse is lagging. Uh, you ever feel like when your mouse is? It's not code either. It really is lagging. Um, Sixty <laughs> on defense. So um, okay. clearly, they're, th- those are not championship numbers, to say the least. Those are, those are lottery numbers. So, um, I, you know, are they going to be like, them going up against playoff teams? That, oh, that's true. Now, what, is the strength of schedule any? Do you know what the, the rest of the 20 games are for them? Is it going to be tough? I don't know off the top of my head, but, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, they just left for their West Coast swing. They've got Golden State Tuesday night. They've got the L.A. teams in Sacramento. So, you know, a bunch of. French playoff teams and obviously the best team in the league. And then I can't remember off the top of my head what the next game is when they come home. But, yeah, their their schedule continues to be uh, fairly challenging in March. Okay. So that's not going to bode well for them. And they could, uh, I mean, you know, to wrap, this, wrap the Celtics up, what do we think? Uh, are they going to be able to hold on in their position right now, which is, um, oh, my goodness, I this is really crazy lag. They're, the uh, standings right now are, they are, let's see, off the top of your head, you know, let's see, they are fifth. They should be five games over Brooklyn at the fifth spot, yeah. so they are pretty settled into that spot. Yeah, no, there's six games six games in front of Detroit, and Brooklyn is a half game behind that. So, yeah, they're not moving anywhere lower than fifth. Huh. Uh, I, they're not going to get fourth, right? They're going to be it's probably stuck on the road in the first round. Probably not. I mean, the difference is fairly menial. Um I don't care about home court as much as they do. If, I mean, the road record has been bad this year, 
which is ironic because last year their road record, I think, was better than their home record. Yeah. And uh, but then in the playoffs, they couldn't win. A, they never won a single game on the road, from what I remember, hmm. except for actually the Philly series. I think they won. Yeah, struggled on the road in the playoffs last year. A big part of that was Terry Rozier played really poor. It was funny. Rozier was like hard home. Terrible. them a little bit but the only difference in seeding is just that home court in the first round and i don't think it's going to make that huge of a difference and they've been falling back behind indiana whose season continues to be magnificent holding on to the three seeds so i don't think they're going to be catching up unless they go on some insane winning streak here well let's now talk about the headline from today which is that andrew bogut is apparently making a comeback in the nba with the warriors uh, and there's some ramifications here because it speaks loudly towards um, DeMarcus Cousins and what he is doing on the court or not doing for the Warriors. So what's your instant reaction to Bogut making it back in the league from Australia? Well, I haven't been covering the Australian league this year, so I was shocked <laughs> to learn that Andrew Bogut was so capable of playing in the NBA. Uh, but it's, I, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Kevon Looney in a second. It tells me, one, that... Jordan Bell is going to remain in the doghouse and probably isn't ever going to get out of it. And I'm assuming he's going to probably be gone next year. And that they don't they don't see a positive trend with Boogie and they need more depth at the five spot, which is in a shock. But what, what do you think? You know, I, I, by the way, I don't know if Jordan Bell isn't necessarily in the doghouse because he's getting, you know, his 14, 15, 18 minutes. So it's not like, you know, it's a little bit in, in, uh, sporadic. Across, depending on the matchups, but uh, I do think that it's uh, a real problem when you look at what Boogie is doing because he clearly is hurting them on the court. And in the very beginning, it looked like, oh, this is something. They have something here. He's, he's setting great screens. He's getting a lot of offensive rebounds and putbacks. He can pass. But if you look at the last, uh, I, I just did the last 16 games of which he's played 14. The net rating when he's out there is negative 3.7, and when he's on the bench, it's plus 15.8. And there's just simply no way to massage those numbers to show you any other difference. It's a 19-point swing uh, when, he, when he's in or when he's out. Uh, that's not helping them. So I could see why they're looking around and saying, geez, we need somebody else to help us. Kevon Looney has been very good for them. But I suppose they're also worried about two things. First is health. And, uh, and we'll get into that in a second. But also, like, his finishing his hands are just... I just would feel really nervous in a in a conference finals game having him out there too much because he doesn't finish that well around the rim. The ball gets knocked away, and you know you can't really risk it at that level. Now in the first couple of rounds, I'm sure he'd be fine, but you know the Western Conference Finals and the finals is going to be a real problem for them. So um, yeah, it's a real concern. I don't. But again, does what does does Bogut do what they need him to do? I don't know. That's the big question. I mean, Bogut, I guess, would be similar to Looney. I mean, he doesn't move as well as Looney anymore. I assume he definitely doesn't move as well as Looney anymore, considering it's been a couple of years since we've seen him healthy playing. But he at least has really good hands, is like a mm-hmm. nice finisher on the roll, and you know he can really execute DHOs very well. So I think he can just execute some of the more technique-based aspects of the offensive repertoire better than Looney can, but I think Looney's probably going to be way more impactful on defense. And Looney also just has continuity in the system while Bogut hasn't been with them for a while. I mean, the way that they play is drastically different. They are they play a lot more inside out and high low than they used to. But 
I, I think Bogut should be able to fit with pretty much everything that they want to do with him out there. And he's only going to be playing probably 10 to 15 minutes a game at the most. Right. Now, that's the thing. If, if most of your concern or a lot of your concern about Looney is health, uh, you know, you're bringing in Bogut, who's going to end up having the same issues and, and to Marcus Cousins as well. So that's, I guess, if you do the three-headed, three-headed monster, they're going to maybe they can, uh, they can balance out the minutes enough where maybe no one's going to get hurt. Uh, but that's good. that's a real fear for them. And uh, you know, they have some options. Yeah, Jordan Bell could ultimately do that small ball five, and they can, you know, they could turn to the Hamptons five maybe more in the playoffs, which they're going to do anyway, I'm sure. So they could probably mitigate that to some degree if one or two of those guys goes down. But. It's uh, it's kind of fascinating. I think that this might be the year. Although, again, the the ennui surrounding the team in year five or is it year five now? What they they've been to four straight finals, right? Yes. So this is like year five of a crazy run, and you know they were they went deep or somewhat deep the year before. So this is a lot of years in a row. I could see why they're just simply bored, waiting for the the the, the uh, playoffs to start. And we've seen this with all these teams that have done this before in the past. That that this year, or, you know, the third, fourth, fifth year would be rough. Um, but I don't know. I don't. It definitely feels a little bit vulnerable for them. That said. I'm not sure sure if the West is as good as it's been in the past either for some reason, right? Like, do the do the teams scare you as much as they would have in the past? No, because I think you have two other elite teams in Milwaukee and Toronto. Philly and Boston can obviously be at that level, but we, you know we don't we're not as confident in that. And then Denver, OKC, and Utah are like you know pretty much. Hovering around that tier, maybe they're even slightly below it. Actually, in Houston, I should say Houston's coming along, and they just beat the Celtics, and have, I think pretty much the same record as them. Uh, so, I think it's kind of wide open, basically, yeah. beneath Golden State. But there's there's some fairly clear distance between Golden State and Milwaukee, and then I guess I, I still put Toronto on that tier. And then, but then there's like some space between those teams and the rest of the of the pack. Right, which is crazy that you'd say that there's you know the two Eastern Conference teams would be above the the, the next best team on, on in the West. But that's you know I I don't know yet. I'm not sold on anybody yet. But at least the good news is on the East side that we have finally you know some better teams, more better teams in the East, and so we should get a better playoff series across that side. And then uh, maybe that'll be enough to to steal that team coming out of the East, if it's Milwaukee or Toronto, uh, to give them a good run for their money, because certainly we deserve a good finals uh, after the last couple of years. So um, interesting stuff. We'll have to kind of wait and see how that plays out the rest of the season. But, um, you know, uh, I I know I'll be here waiting for it. How about you? I'll be still driving somewhere. It is Boston, (laughs) so I should be stuck in traffic for at least another month and a half now. Okay, that's good to know. We'll know where to find you. Um, but drive safely, please, Jared, and everyone else out there, drive safely. And uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in my car. <laughs> <laughs>